Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner! Welcome to Sports on a Sunday Morning. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Absolutely great to have you with us. Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager in the first hour and this hour, Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mosellock at 1130. Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers at 1145. Right now we're joined by Dan Reardon. Always great to visit with you. Long time covering golf for this radio station and keeping an eye on things at Winged Foot. You're not there physically. You're covering it remotely just like uh, most of the media contingent, right, Dan? Yeah, a very select group of people are on site, but uh, that has been the story this year, and that will be the story, by the way, at Augusta as well. Yeah, you will be keeping an eye on the Masters as well, and will Matthew Wolf be involved? He is something else. This guy with a 565 yesterday, with that little hitch in his swing, he hits the ball a ton. How, How far does he hit the ball, about 330? Well, he was averaging 330 for the week, and that put him fourth in the field mm. in driving distance. Imagine, imagine that circumstance. 330 average, and he ranks fourth in the field in driving distance. Now, keep in mind, it's, it's always essential that you know which holes they're measuring. They measure on two different holes to come up with that statistic. And, for instance, Brandon DeChambeau, Bryson DeChambeau is 15th in the field, but on one of those holes, he's not hitting driver off the tee. So his average is, is much lower. I think Bryson is somewhere around 315. So that stat itself is a little bit misleading. What's not misleading is that the final group today has two players who for the week so far have hit a total of 29 fairways out of 84 possible. This is a different kind of golf uh, that the U.S. Open is looking at. You know, the Wingfoot is famous for Sandy Tatum saying in 1974 that we're not trying to embarrass the best players in the world. We're trying to identify them. What? With, 29, with 29 fairways out of 84 opportunities, I don't know if we're actually identifying them. I know. What makes this golf course so difficult? Is it the rough? Is that one of the biggest parts of it? Well, certainly on Friday, it was not any of those circumstances. It was the wind. 
And, and watching the early play today, we've seen that the, the wind is moderate by 10 miles an hour. The scores are moderate. We have two players in red numbers so far uh, during this round. I would say today is going to play much the same as we saw yesterday. I think we had 12 players shoot under par in yesterday's round. I would expect we will be maybe low double digits again today. Um, but that sets up well for two guys who have sort of sprinted away from the field because at five under, you you have to go back to Louis Ustes and, and then the evens to, to get a competition. So it really does come down to two guys who, if they can play at all, will not let the rest of the field in. But both of these guys have never won a major, so we don't know what that number will be. Will they hold up? Will they not hold up? I don't know. One thing we do know, they won't be hitting fairways. No, uh, it's they hit the ball an um, absolute mile. So what about Patrick Reed? What happened there? He shoots a 77 and just lets the whole thing fall apart. You, you cannot, when you're a normal player, as Patrick Reed is, you cannot continue to make mistakes off the tee and scramble your way around the golf course and survive. And he just ran out of scrambling ability when he got to the back nine. You know, he was at six under on the front nine and up by three. And he was doing that also with a lot of magic, with a lot of things that, you know, a lot of bunker play. And that magic just ran out. You, you know, the only player I can recall in, in my time who was able to scramble for four days and win a championship was uh, was Mike Weir at Augusta and in chilly conditions over four days. Uh, ball striking always comes into play. And uh, I, I think it just abandoned uh, uh, Patrick Reed yesterday. Rory McIlroy is six shots off the lead. Does he have a shot? He's the only player that I would put in that scoring group that has the firepower to go out and do this. Rory is the kind of player that needs to play from the fairway to score and has the ability to play at that 330 driving average and still hit fairways. The problem is that Rory has not done that since we had the restart. So if he does it today, it will be an aberration because it will be other than what he has done so far throughout the summer. But, yeah, if you look at the guys that are there and you look at just pure strength and accuracy, McElroy has that combination. Anybody else that you think could make a run? Well, you just said no, that Rory McIlroy is really the only one. But, you know, I I could, I guess I could make a case for Shoffley. I mean, I, I, I just think he's such a steady player, Dan, that you just never know. It, it, it would have to be Wolf and uh, Bryson falling back. They definitely have to fall back. There's no question about that. And even for a one-over round from Wolf or DeChambeau, will lock the tournament up, I believe. You know, even though Wolf shot 65 yesterday, I, I, I just don't think that's going to happen again today, but I, I could be wrong on that. Shopway is an interesting story because he sits at even par. If you think that two under, for instance, is actually going to win this championship, a 68 from Shopway is not out of the question. And, in fact, you could say the same thing for Matsuyama. Matsuyama is that kind of talented. You'll know early from, uh, from Hideki if he makes putts early in the round. It's always been his Achilles heel is his putter. If he makes putts early and builds his confidence, he, too, could go out and shoot a 68 or a 67. But it, it, it still comes down to, like I said, these top two players, Tom. And the other thing I briefly want to suggest to you is if power is the only thing you need to win this championship, how do you respond to that in the future? How do you turn the game back into an examination, as Sandy Tatum referred to it? And I think the answer is green firmness. 
If these greens were as firm as you would expect at Wingfoot, the ball would be bouncing out of the long, rough shots that they're playing and kicking into the rough around the greens. And I guarantee you, Tom, there's not a player in the world who has enough strength to defeat long, rough, around, firm, fast greens. So if the USGA wants to look at a formula going forward, it's not grow longer rough in the fairways. It's not narrow the fairways. It's make the green so firm that the players are penalized for not being able to spin the ball coming out of the rough. Zach Johnson fired a 68 yesterday, two over for the championship, but seven behind Matthew Wolf, who's at minus five. I want to ask you a couple more questions about him. But first, how about Adam Long? I mean, Adam Long, the Francis Howell product, grew up here in the St. Louis area, uh, shoots a 69 yesterday, four over. Not bad run there for Adam Long. No, we've got to get past the point of thinking it took him a long time to get on tour and question his legitimacy. Keep in mind that Matt, Adam Long was the last player out in qualifying for the FedEx championship. He's a legitimate talent who's found his game uh, in his early 30s, and he's going to be a very work, workmanlike performer for the next several years. He's a legitimate player. It just took him a little while to get there. Yeah, it's very nice. So Matthew Wolf, and now you knew, speaking of legitimacy, when they put him in that made-for-TV event recently with some of the best players in the world, you knew what everybody thought of him. Uh, it was the first time a lot of us really got to lay eyes on him for 18 holes, and that swing, how would you describe it, Dan, for those who are not adjusted to it and might be watching it for the first time this weekend? It's purely the leg action right before he starts to swing. In terms of swinging the club, um, he's certainly not as outlandish as a former U.S. Open champion Jim Furyk's swing might be. There have been players who have had quirky swings, but that little kick action at, at the start of his swing sets him apart. One other thing about Matthew Wolf, he's in. this is a deja vu moment for him. In Detroit, he was two strokes clear of Bryson DeChambeau going into the final round at Rocket Mortgage. And he shot 71, and Bryson shot 65, and beat him on that day. So they're they're doing a little bit of a replay at the circumstance. Uh, you talked about that exhibition. He admitted and showed very clearly at the start of that exhibition he was intimidated and nervous. So again, I think it's important for him to settle himself down early on the golf course. If he can play the first five or six holes and even par or under, then I think he has the maturity at this young age of 21 to be there at the finish, at least to contend at the finish. But watch him early on. If he gets off stride early, he won't get the wheels back on. Right on target, as Dan said, in Doug Ferguson's Associated Press story, you had him quoted as saying, I'm probably going to be a little antsy. It's the U.S. Open, and I have a lead. I'm going to try to keep my nerves as calm as they can be. I put myself in a really good spot. I did everything that I could do up until this point, and tomorrow I'm going to go out there, and I promise you I'm going to try my best. I like his combination of confidence and being humble. And I just like the youth movement going on right now. I think a lot of us thought that Jordan Spieth would be the next great one. Uh, he certainly has had some great moments, and I continue to keep an eye on his great career. But when I see a year in which Colin Marikawa wins the PGA, and now could very well be that you have young 21-year-old Matthew Wolf winning the U.S. Open, uh, is that good for golf to see this young, the young blood take over? The youth, yes. The style of play, no. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in that regard, the poster boy, and I referred to him uh, unkindly this morning on one of my reports, the incredible hulk of golf right now is Bryson DeChambeau. And he has mechanically and physically transformed himself 
into a player that could impact the game in a negative way. Because if people try to go down that road and do what he is doing, they dismiss the possibility that he is just so uniquely gifted in the game that he can do it the wrong way and get away with it. We don't know what the case might be. You know, everybody tried to imitate Tiger for a number of years, and it took a long time until Rory came around and approached that. I don't know that we can see somebody all of a sudden take themselves up to 240 or 250 and try try to drive the ball 350 yards and replicate what, what Bryson is doing. Keep in mind about uh, uh, DeChambeau. He's also playing with a set of clubs that every shaft is the exact same length. So he not only approaches the game differently, he plays it with different equipment. That's interesting. What about Tiger Woods? Now, his next move will be to defend his green jacket, and uh, it has been uh, just a welcome sight, I think, for golf fans to see him out there competing. He was not able to make the cut this time, or for that matter, Phil Mickelson. What about both of them and their futures? How do you see it? It was interesting to hear both of them speak afterwards. Mickelson was asked specifically, is this your last U.S. Open? He said, I need time. You know, Phil knows that that his days are numbered. He didn't think they were this short a number. In the case of Tiger, what we know about Tiger now that's most concerning is he is physically damaged, that he doesn't know on a given week. He can prepare himself as much as he wants to play in a championship like this or the Masters. He doesn't know until he tees it up on that first day whether his back will allow him to play to the level he thinks he can play. I thought both players walked off of this championship somewhat discouraged about their futures. Phil, Phil because of age, Tiger because of physical well-being. I think I don't think the Masters will be the test for Tiger this year. I, you know whether he performs well or not. I think the test will be how he handles a normal season next year with a, a reasonable start and see if what we saw this summer from him becomes the rule. And then how long would Tiger? continue to show up and be more ceremonial than competitive. Tiger Woods will defend his Masters title not until November. That's November 12th through the 15th in Augusta. And Dan Reardon will be covering that as he's been covering majors for X Radio for many, many years. It's always a treat to hear you talk about the game. Appreciate it. We'll be watching the U.S. Open closely already off the tee. Patrick, Weed, Patrick Reed and Thomas Peters. At 11.57, Zach Johnson and Rory McIlroy, the leaders, will go off at 12.30 Central Time today, so a little over an hour from now. Dan, appreciate the time very much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Enjoyed it, Tom. Always good to be with Dan Reardon on KMOX Radio. Sports on a Sunday morning continues with another great KMOX veteran, Ron Jacober, will tell us about the life of his dear friend Greg Marasek and the legendary St. Louis Cardinal Larry Wilson. That's next on KMOX. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. I'm Tom Ackerman. It's 1124. Let's turn things over to Brian Kelly. Well, we lost two greats this week. Greg Marasek and Larry Wilson. And Ron Jacober was very close to Greg and knew Larry and covered him when he was playing here in St. Louis. So I thought, who better to have on this morning than the Hall of Famer, Ron Jacoba. Ron, it's always great to talk with you. How are you? 
Thanks. Well, I'm pretty good. I, I'm tired of funerals, though. It was Luke Rock last week, and then mm-hmm. Greg Marisak and now Larry Wilson. But I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah, it's been a tough week, though. Tough yeah, time. it really has. And let's start talking about Greg. He, uh, sure. he, of course, was the founder and the driving force behind the St. Louis Sports <clears throat> Hall of Fame. You were very close to Greg. Well, yeah, he was like my brother from a different mother. I mean, we we talk every day. I, I said at the eulogy, I can just throw away my cell phone now because Greg won't be calling me like he did every day, several times a day. But he did, you know, he owned a radio station. He was a writer. He, owned, he, he wrote several books. But he, in 2008, one morning, he called me and said, well, you know, there's no St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame. I said, yeah. He said, maybe we should start one. I said, well, I guess. He said, will you help? I said, oh, okay. I had no <laughs> idea what I was getting into. And I don't know that he did either, but uh, we I was with him from day one on that thing. And it was his passion to preserve the history of sports in St. Louis and honor our greatest athletes. And he worked that all the time, except when he was watching Perry Mason and Green Acres. I, <laughs> I said to him, Greg, you're a St. Louis icon. You're watching Green Acres? Oh, yeah. He knew all the characters and stuff. But, yeah, he was a he was full of energy, man. He was an idea guy, Brian. And he had tons of ideas all the time. And we, I'd have to talk him down off the ledge many times because some of them didn't work. But a lot of them were very, very good. And, and uh, so we I don't know what's going to happen in the hall, to tell you the truth, because he was the driving force always. Now, there's a lot of people along the line that have helped. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, it was it was pretty sudden. Uh, I was I was I was stunned when his wife, Helen, called me a week ago today about noon and said, Greg's an ICU and he's not going to make it. And I said, oh, my God. It's like a lightning bolt to my brain, you know. But, uh, yeah, that was tough. That was really tough. But And I will miss those phone calls, i got to tell you. Yeah, I bet you will. And and it, it is something, you know, with our great sports history in St. Louis, and it, it rivals any city in the country, probably any city in the world, it really was a, a St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame, something we really needed. And the events that the Hall of Fame held, the, you know, he would call me and say, hey, I've got another class coming in. I said, let's get on right. and talk about it because the name just keep coming. And, and it's a great legacy, and I hope that somebody can step forward and keep it going. Yeah, I have seen every one of those dinners, and they were terrific. Uh, a great frustration for Greg and for the rest of us, of course, is never had the ability to establish a permanent facility. A building. We had uh, several near misses. Now we had a lot of displays at the Enterprise Center, and uh, I think we had six big cases there. And they made us take them out when they when they remodeled the place. So all that stuff's in storage. But that was the great frustration. Is and uh, you know that's the thing that Greg wanted the most. I think was a was a permanent building where people could come and visit the Hall of Fame. And it didn't happen. And maybe it will. But boy, it's difficult to raise money in this day and age for something like that. Yeah, it really is. And I, I we sit in three thirty four for the Blues games, and right outside was the St. Louis Browns, and then a football display, and then of course down right. in the in the lobby area there was the big display that had uh, some of the other uh, greats, the old uh, you know like you had the Hawks uniforms, you had a lot of the Blues uh, memorabilia, and I just, I really hope we can find a place to display, because you do, you know, the Sports Hall of Fame does have an amazing collection. Yeah, we really do. I mean, we, we had the the uh, NBA trophy, the St. Louis Hawks one. We had, I had Bob Goldby's putter down there that he won the Masters with. I mean, it was things like that that you really want to preserve, and that's, Greg did a great job with that. His basement is full, so full of stuff that he collected, and I, I said, 
why would anybody want programs from the Billiken basketball team in the 1970s or 40-year-old scorecards? But he kept everything, everything he kept. So I don't know what his wife's going to do with all that stuff. It was his personal stuff. Well, good. See, I'm going to tell my wife, Sue, I'm not the only one. <laughs> she wonders well, that, too. Of, yeah, I got a yeah. lot of stuff, but I, I don't have anything compared to what Gray had. And then Larry Wilson. You know, uh, it's been obviously a long, long time since he played, but but his passing, too, really hit me on Friday. And I guess yeah, you know, he was the fir- right. one of the first real sports heroes in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I knew Larry pretty well at one point before they moved to Arizona when the team moved out there. He was... Uh, this guy was had such a big heart. I think, along with Bob Gibson, and I don't mean to insult any other athletes, I think Larry Wilson and Bob Gibson were the toughest and most intense athletes that I've ever known here in St. Louis. He was not a big guy, 5'11", 190 pounds out of, you know, he was a country boy out of Idaho and a seventh-round draft choice. Well, that seventh-round draft choice turned out to be a member of the 100th anniversary team of the NFL. And he, along with it, with a coach named Chuck Droulis, uh, design the safety blitz prior to that safeties in the nfl and college too they just played the pass and and they played the run but they came up with the idea of blitzing the quarterback and it, it provided chaos in the nfl for quite a while because they never knew what it was coming never knew where he was coming from but uh, he was such a tough guy one of my favorite collections is a picture with me and larry he's shirtless after a game, I think it was one of his last games, and he signed it for me. And he was nothing but bone and muscle, man. He was so tough. But I got to tell you one fun, one funny line. Uh, he had a sense of humor. He said he retired in the metallic age. That's when your hair turned silver, you got gold in your mouth, and lead in your butt. <laughs> what a great, great line. And I did see also that I think it was uh, people in Utah where he went to college, if I remember this right, they collected money to put a statue of him outside Bush Stadium next to Stan Musial's. And Larry Wilson said, no, don't do that. Give that money to St. Louis Children's Hospital. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think I think you're accurate about that. Yeah, he was uh, just, you know, on the field he was ferocious. But off the field he was a little puppy dog and couldn't be nicer man and helped everybody. And, and he married Nancy. Her name was Nancy Drew at the time, mm-hmm. who was a sportscaster at KMOX. Mm-hmm. I worked with Nancy there. And uh, they moved to, to Arizona, and we kind of lost contact, of course, after that. But uh, I know he hated the heat out there. He didn't like that at oh, all. Oh, really? In the, in the summertime. Oh, man. You know, you can't go outside after 7 o'clock in the morning you know, in Phoenix. Uh-huh. Well, Ron, thank you so much. I know it has been a very tough week for, for all of us, but especially for you as you lost a couple of, of close friends. And I want to thank you very much for joining me here this morning to talk about them and and hopefully we're paying enough tribute to them because they're two St. Louis legends that uh, we, we you know keep their spirit alive for sure. I sure hope so, Brian. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Very appreciative of the words from Ron Jacoba right there with Brian Kelly. Sports on a Sunday morning. Back with John Mosellock after this. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning on KMOX. Cardinals President of Baseball Operations John Mosellock will be joining us here momentarily. Yesterday, the Cardinals in the seventh inning were getting no hit 
and started to put it together after the Pirates replaced their pitcher. And the 1-0 pitch, here it comes, swing and a hard hit to the left field, and it's fair down the left field line. The Cardinals will score two on the double by Tyler O'Neill, and they're back in this game. 4-2 Pittsburgh. O'Neill with the RBI double, Carlson with the sack fly, Wong with an RBI single, Edmund breaks the tie with an RBI single. Cardinals built a 5-4 lead and won it by that count. And it's a new day, John Moselock, Cardinals president of baseball operations. Good morning and uh, good afternoon in Pittsburgh. And what a week this has been. What a season this has been. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I, I go back two days, really. I think that, that uh, you know, that doubleheader was great to take those games. And, you know, last night, you don't really feel like you're in a game. And then, uh, you know, you, they, they uh, make the pitching change, as you guys noted, and, able to take advantage of it. And um, in a year like we're having, those little things matter. And so that was great to see. And, you know, overall, I think the good vibe going on right now with the club, they're certainly uh, a little bit travel tired and all of that. But, you know, they understand that, that you know, we're kind of winding down here and, and all these things matter. So, you know, hopefully we can have a strong week, finish well, and um, get into the postseason. Baseball is a grind, no doubt about it. And along the way, you're going to deal with things, and you have KK's kidney ailment. He has since come back. Yeah, Dexter Fowler's stomach ailment. I'll ask you about him in just a bit. First, of course, on our minds, uh, among other things, is the health of Yadier Molina. Mike Schilt telling us last hour he thought, good chance that Yadi gets to play today, that uh, at least no fracture was a good sign, that it hit him in a different spot on that left wrist uh, yesterday. John, how are things going with Yadi? Yeah, that's my understanding, too. Um, I have not seen him yet. Uh, I am at the ballpark, and but as you know, in the COVID environment, players come later, and uh, actually staff comes later, too, for that matter. But, um, you know, he uh, he did tell the skipper he thought he could go, and so that's encouraging. That's good to hear. So we'll see how that works out today with the lineup and how the Cardinals attack the Pirates, a team that's not giving up anything, that's for sure. And the Cardinals have a chance to win four out of five. They've won three in a row. They're four and a half out in the NL Central. Uh, you can't say enough about some of your pitching performances this past week. KK yesterday gave up four, but before that, uh, he went seven. I mean, and then Ponce follows that with six of his own. That was Big-time pitching when you needed it, wasn't it? And followed by Adam Wainwright's tremendous performance after the 18-3 loss. Well, it's like I've been telling you every week. It's, uh, we're, we're day by day. And when you have that many doubleheaders on your schedule, you're, you know all roster decisions are being predicated on what happened that day as you prepare for the next. And, uh, you know, as we were, like, thinking about tomorrow, very briefly, but we were thinking about it, and, uh, you know, all moves will we'll sort of wait and see until how we get through the day. And so, you know, fingers crossed we can get a good, good start or powerful start out of Mr. Flaherty, and um, that would help set up the week nicely. What about Dakota Hudson? What is the latest on his health? Is he uh, what appears to be a forearm, right, flexor tendon issue? Yeah, I, I think – First off, we'll we'll have him evaluated again by our, our team physician, Dr. Paletta, on Tuesday and have a better idea of exactly what we're dealing with. But I think the likelihood of, of him pitching this year is, is getting closer to, to none. So, um, you know, ultimately we'll, we'll know exactly what we're dealing with uh, beginning on uh, 
Tuesday. We'll watch that as you take on the Royals that week. Pirates today. Flaherty, as you mentioned, on the mound starts at 3.05. Giovanni Gallegos through a bullpen session. That's good to hear as your bullpen certainly has had its depth tested. Uh, I would imagine that uh, that's a good sign. I guess how he feels today is a big thing. Yeah, it is. It's uh, we're encouraged. Like I said, uh, you know, as we get through today, I think we'll understand what tomorrow looks like. But you know, there is a chance um, he could be joining us soon, which is good news. And you know, really, our bullpen has done yeoman's work, given all the uh, ups and downs, different names, faces. Um, you know, it's been a it's been a really daunting schedule, and so you're challenged in so many ways. But uh, you know, again, if we get a good start today, it, it really does set the tone for hopefully a nice week. And as for your outfield, it'd be nice to get Dexter back. All You've had a number of players get opportunities in the outfield. And then just recently, Tyler, we played that big hit he had yesterday, and Dylan Carlson wrecked one the other day that uh, that put that game out of reach. You'll continue to work as many outfielders as you can, but if Fowler can give you some stability, I'd be welcome here. What's the latest on him? Yeah, he's close. Um, I would I would imagine he will likely be tomorrow. So uh, we're we're pleased about that. He has uh, been working out part time at Bush, and from a baseball standpoint, feeling pretty good about himself. So um, I do th- I do anticipate that move happening. And to your point, you know he was having a really good year, and uh, hopefully when he gets reactivated, he'll continue to do that. But um, glad to know he's feeling well and uh, been able to find that right balance with his meds. So that's been good. And in terms of travel, this is a long, long trip, and fingers crossed, but it seems like uh, you've been able to move along quite well. I'm not going to jinx anything for you, but I know that you know it is a day-to-day situation. But uh, from that standpoint, everything seems to be encouraging, John. Yeah, and uh, play today and then end up in Kansas City tonight. Uh, yeah, it is. It's sort of a odd road trip, right? A little yeah. bit of a crisscross, but, um, you know, it's uh, – when you're on these kind of trips, you don't really worry about where you're going or think about sort of the times and all that. You just follow the game plan and go. And, and so um, the nice part about this week is really only one doubleheader ahead of us at the moment. And so, you know, at least we can sort of get into sort of a little bit more normalcy than uh, what we've been experiencing. Well, all the best against the Pirates this week, uh, or today, I should say, and then the Royals tomorrow. We appreciate this time very much. Uh, we'll let you get back to it at the ballpark. Thank you for these times. All uh, right, thanks. See you. Thank you. John Mosellock with us. It's 1144. Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, is next on KMOX. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It's 11.48 and a great opportunity for us on Sports on a Sunday Morning. For many years, we've talked to the head coach of the Missouri Tigers on this program and with us on a weekly basis as long as he can. And we appreciate every moment he can because we know he's in football mode. And that's Eli Drinkwitz. The head coach of the Tigers is with us. How are you, coach? I'm doing great. You're absolutely right. It's football season and uh Excited for our challenge this week. Uh, I loved the line. This is one of the best lines I've heard all week is when somebody asked you about the Big Ten uh, coming back and you said something along the lines of, look, I got enough to worry about playing Alabama. I can't figure out whether 
they're going to play or the Pac-12 is going to play. If they're playing, great. It's a great game. <laughs> You're ready yeah. to go. Yeah, I mean, they're yo-yoing around. They folded like a cheap suit in the middle of the summer, and now they're trying to iron themselves back out. I mean, I ain't got time for all that washing. You know, Greg Sankey's done an outstanding job leading our conference and has been a rock uh, in uncertain times and stayed too, true to his plan, which is why we're in the position we're in as the SEC. And, uh, you know, we're excited about the opportunity to play. Obviously got a tough task with – number two team in the country coming in here and, and uh, you know, tremendous on offense, eight returning starters, tremendous on defense with seven returning starters. I believe it's coach Saban's 14th year at Alabama uh, with, with, with this program. And so, yeah, we got our hands full, um, but you know, our players and our coaching staff, our number one core value is to always compete. And so we're excited about the competition this Saturday. I'm certain that he's done all he can to prepare for you and scout you as much as he can. It's hard sometimes when you haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen Eli Drinkwood's offense, for that matter, in uh, on display. Uh, from but in past years. It certainly has been fun. I mean, I, when you were at NC State, you did uh, some very innovative things. And certainly at Appalachian State, part of the reason you got this job was your ability to do things offensively. How would you describe, uh, without giving anything away, what your offense is all about? Yeah, I mean, we all have a DNA of who we are. And offensive football for us is all based on three things, rhythm, attack, execute. We're going to play with a no-huddle tempo that allows us to get, get ourselves into a rhythm. Uh, we, we want to be attacking offense with a dominant downhill run game and a vertical pass game. But the hallmark and the only chance we have for success is all about execution. It doesn't matter the plays you call. It matters the plays you execute. And we got to do a tremendous job at executing the fundamentals and the plays. And, and uh, you know, every place I've been, that's that's really the, the, the centerpiece of the offense. But it changes year to year based on your personnel. And also the input. I've got a tremendous offensive staff. I got Marcus Johnson, the O line coach, who was at Mississippi State last year and has his own flavor. I've got Casey Woods, my tight ends coach, who was at UAB and has some ideas. And Bush Hamden was the offensive coordinator for uh, the Washington Huskies last year, and, and then Curtis Looper at TCU. So we've all been in the room and putting it together. And hey, I like this idea, and I like this idea, and so. It's been fun, you know, building it around our players' strengths. And, and uh, so we'll, we'll be excited to see what happens on Saturday. You know, the thing I keep telling everybody is no, what, no matter what happens on Saturday, we've got a lot of work to do to continue to improve. It's a long season, and uh, Saturday is just the starting point. I appreciate you hanging on through the commercial break, by the way. I think you caught the very end of John Mosellock, the Cardinals' president of baseball operations. And uh, you may know, you may not, that the Cardinals have dealt with a lot uh, when it comes to COVID, they, they had a, an outbreak within the organization. They've weathered that storm, and they're in contention right now. Uh, how have you dealt with some of that uh, yourself? I know that there there have been some uh, reasons to see your team depleted a little bit in some areas. How have you been able to recover from that? Well, I mean, I think, uh, honestly, just taking the approach the Cardinals have, which is y you don't you don't get caught uh, getting too high or too low. You just try to stay in the middle. You react to the situation however it plays out, and you take care of your people. And so that's what we're doing. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. If a positive test comes back, then we've got to follow protocols, make sure that our players are safe, everybody in our organization is safe. And, and when they get back, we'll make sure that – um, we compete, but we're dealing with a, a global pandemic, and and honestly, nobody has the answers. If they did, it wouldn't still be spreading. 
So we're doing the very best we can. And if somebody gets it, then our main focus shifts from, uh, you know, oh, well, you know, our, our main focus shifts from feeling sorry for ourselves to, all right, how do we give them the best possible care? And, uh, and then we go from there. We look forward to seeing your team against Alabama, but we look forward to seeing also some of these recruits that are coming in and fulfilling uh, commitments to your program. You have been very active. How would you, in this pandemic, describe uh, how you've gone about attacking in terms of recruiting and spreading yourselves out? Well, I think the, the, the main thing we've tried to do is communicate authentically. Uh, we've tried to, to communicate as much as we possibly can with every single uh, recruit that's out there that, that, that we believe has the ability to help us change this program. And then the other thing we try to do is be creative, um, you know, be creative in the way that we uh, sell ourselves and sell our program and, and show who we are and what we're about. And um, we've been able to do that effectively. Uh, but the biggest tests are going to come in this next 10 weeks as we go up and down the SEC schedule uh, and maintain relationships with these players so they won't lose any uh, recruits. Finally, I wanted to talk to you about just being in Columbia and being part of this uh, campus life. And the last time you and I talked, you made a surprise appearance on my Garage Happy Hour as you crashed uh, the the Conzo Martin interview, as as I asked you to do. And I really appreciated it. And it came during a very important time. Uh, The thing is, it's still very important. And I know that you have... Uh, really looked at uh, racial injustice uh, in a a big-picture sense. When you look at life and football and a team, uh, you bring all of these men together on a daily basis. There are some similarities, aren't they, Coach? Yeah, I mean, look, we're all fighting um, to try to make a better world, whether it's for my kids or my daughters or my football team. We're all trying to improve, and I think that's the message of a football team throughout the season is you're trying to uh, always – compete to be better today than you were yesterday and i feel like as a society that's really what the fight for social justice is it's how do we improve Um, we know that there's things that um, are not right and uh how how can we work to improve those and the only way to improve them is to practice them talk about them expose them and then move forward together i know that it it won't be like it it is in any normal year when alabama would come to town in columbia or any SEC team for that matter. You're talking about the roar of the crowd with a smattering of, in Alabama's case, probably fairly heavy uh, crimson in in the seats. But what will it be like for you to go through that tunnel for the first time as the head coach of the Missouri Tigers? Uh, You know, I haven't put much thought into it. I've been so focused on what we have to do in order to prepare for that moment and opportunity. I know that in any game I've ever coached, you know, when I'm fixing to walk out the tunnel, I always look up and try to find my family to make sure they're there, and then I go do my job. And uh, that's really what I'll try to do this Saturday, too. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing you, and I appreciate these times very much, and I look forward to chatting with you every Sunday as long as your schedule allows at 1145, and I appreciate these moments very much. Sounds good, brother. Have a great day. Appreciate it. Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach of the Tigers, with us for a little bit here on KMOX. We will uh, depart now, but I will tell you, that uh, coming up at 3.05 is Cardinal Baseball. So Joe Pott is going to be along with you at 2.10 for the pregame. And then at 3.05, it's the Cards and Pirates from PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Jack Flaherty, see if he can get himself back on track. He hasn't really been the same here over the last few starts. The Cardinals are four and a half back in the NL Central. They own second place all to themselves. We look forward to that.
It's on the way on KMOX. Our thanks to all of our guests, Mike Schilt, Dan Reardon, also Ron Jacober, and John Mosellock and Eli Drinkwitz. Our producer is James O'Sullivan. Thanks to Brian Kelly. I'm Tom Ackerman on the home of the Cardinals, KMOX. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.